Welcome to the Unveiled Podcast. We are talking about current topics designed to equip women to be culture shapers and disciple makers, helping you to live with conviction and boldness in a post-Christian world. Today, I've invited Erin Coates to join me. She's married to Pastor James Coates, who was recently released from prison after being there for five weeks because he kept Grace Life Church open uh, in the midst of some public health mandates that said he could only have 15% capacity at his church. And so, Aaron, my heart feels somewhat bonded with yours, even though we've never met in person. But uh, being that our churches are, are uh, fighting for freedom, and uh, my husband has not been imprisoned like yours, but uh, he's been ticketed and is currently going through some court hearings with a potential charge of ten thousand to a hundred thousand dollars and up to a year in prison. I don't see this happening, but at the same time, I know we live in a very different Canada than we did um, even a few years ago when we grew up. And so uh, it's a different time. It's uh, an unusual time for the Christian church as we're trying to fight to uh, continue ministering and um, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Aaron, it's a blessing to have you in this conversation today. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, could you just give us a brief update on your current situation, both things that are going on at home, at your church and in the courts, and where are you and James at right now? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy to know that you guys are um, not fighting for the Lordship of Christ over the church because he is Lord over the mm. church, but seeking to uphold that at your church. And so that just brings us so much excitement. Where we're at as a church, so James obviously has been released and all of his conditions have been dropped, uh, except for one charge, which is a, a provincial charge against him in regards to violating the Public Health Act on December 20th, I believe it was. And so we are going to court really to challenge the, the efficacy of the, the lockdowns. Um, and so we were going to be really challenging our chief medical officer to uh, produce evidence um, and to actually give the numbers for the um, consequences of the lockdown. So we're going to be um, challenging her in court as they're uh, challenging us in regards to breaking their, their health orders. So that's kind of where we're at with James coming out of prison, where we're at with a church. We um, have been summonsed as a church, like you guys. Um, we have a summons that will be heard, I believe it's the last day of our trial, which is May the 5th. And we are facing, I think, I believe it's up to $500,000 uh, in a summons. And, and likely those summons will keep coming. Um, the RCMP and our Alberta Health Services has not let up. When James was in prison, they were at our, our facility, but they would sit outside in their cars, assuring us that they were just there to observe, there for our safety. And then on Sunday, as soon as James is released, our health services and our RCMP wanted to come into our facility. And we were absolutely beside ourselves um, that they would attempt to do that in violation of the criminal code of 176 um, two. And uh, that they would seek to come in and say, well, our intent is not to bother anybody, completely disregarding the fact that James has been in prison. So here's a man that 
our church loves, he loves our church, and just having their presence inside of the building has had serious effects on, on our church. Our people are, you know, constantly dealing with anxiety and fear. How much more are they going to bring to us? Um, so they don't seem to be letting up in regards to their really just trying to keep us in line, I think, and have us adhere to to the, the lockdown. So that's kind of where we're at as a church as we sit and wait for this trial coming up in May. But we just, they, I, I think we're at a point now where they're actually harassing us because there is a trial. There, it is being contested in court. So for them not to let up uh, is really just a sad thing and shows that there's just something very odd happening. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we don't know what that is. We don't really need to know what that is, but that's kind of where we're at as a church right now. And uh, James is, he doesn't really know how he feels right now. He had explained um, yesterday, he, he, there's a grief in his heart. Mm. Um, you know, he, he's not a criminal, but has been treated as a criminal. And although the stuff that he experienced in the prison with the inmates was largely positive and being able to minister to them um, and, and have conversations with these guys who have really, you know, difficult pasts. Um, but uh, there's a grief in his heart. And I think that it's, it's the war, it's the spiritual war that we're facing. We're facing a lot of darkness right now. And so, and he's got to now slip into all of his pastoral duties that, and, and catch up from the last five weeks. And again, like AHS is just, hounding us. So that's kind of where we're at as a church where James is at. And, mm. yeah. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I, I definitely uh, agree that there is a darkness and, you know, I can't personally speak for the darkness or the the grief as you've described it, that James would be feeling. I think those types of feelings have come and gone in various ways, both for Aaron and I as well. Uh, I will also say um I'm sure some of it had to be even being in jail. And I, uh, I personally, I found some joy in hearing James talk on Rebel News when he did that interview. I think it was yesterday or the day before. And he was talking about some of the relationships he had with the inmates and the Bible study he had with them. And uh, I thought that was really cool. It brought joy to my heart. And even when he described the banging of the doors when he left it, um, it, it was something special because I, I have a bit of a soft spot in my heart for for prisoners. I lead a jail ministry to women when things aren't in lockdown. And I've, I've seen that kind of, of love and desire in the people that are in the jail. And uh, there's, there's just a love that God has given to me for them uh, because... I now see them as more than just criminals, people who've done some evil things, and they have. Some of them have done some really evil things, but I see them as broken, broken people. But at the same time, there are days when I walk in the jail and I feel an incredible darkness, almost as if there's evil spirits pushing me out. Uh, Satan loves the jail. He has, you know incredible rain there. And I'm sure some of what James is feeling is some spiritual darkness from, from being there. Right. And um, yeah, there, there was one day in particular, I remember coming home and I had to immediately take a shower. I just felt so dirty from being there. Um, 
it, it's a darkness that that it's hard to describe. But at the same time, when you see God moving, it's pretty bright and evident as well. And so I'm sure maybe James is still wrestling through some of that as well, seeing both the good and the evil in extreme measures while he was there. And then, of course, the battle that he comes back to, right? It's not as if he's coming back to, um, you know, ease. It, he, he's in a battle that he continues to be in. So, yeah, definitely your family and your church continues to need lots of prayer during this time. Uh, but one of the things that I would say really stood out to me throughout this whole time was your your strength, Aaron, that you remained consistent and strong throughout this whole imprisonment. And I know that you've shared um, that there is nights when you, you know, had lots of tears. And, um, you know, I think that's only human. If we're fighting injustice, there should be tears over that injustice. And to be separated from your husband, of course, it's only natural to have those tears. And so I think that's only human. It doesn't in any way diminish your strength. But you were an incredible woman of strength. And so I just thought it'd be great to hear uh, where that source of strength came from. Like what helped you to remain steadfast throughout that those five weeks or so that he was in prison and I'm sure leading up to it and continuing now, uh, what's that source? Where are you getting your strength? Yeah, it's Christ. You know, uh, I, I said through all, I looked back on kind of the things that I did in, in the first two weeks and, and just speaking about the spiritual warfare, you know, you, when you're in ministry, you face spiritual warfare all the time. You're in the counseling room, you're, you're facing spiritual warfare. You, you have spiritual warfare in your own life. You're battling your own sin, uh, but this was a level of spiritual warfare that I had not experienced mm. in my life before. And I think that, uh, you know, everyone's Christians are attacking me. Mm. Professing Christians are attacking me. Um, they're, they're judging a situation before they have all of the information, even before I had an opportunity to speak on the issue, people have heard their judgment. And so that was bringing a lot of um, just, warfare into my life. And so as everything's happening and I'm not sleeping, I'm, I'm having difficulty eating. Um, there's the unknown, you know, my, my protector has been taken out of the home and the enemy is striking on that, trying to set me against my husband. So many believers were trying to set me against my leaders and my husband. Um, and so I say during this time, I just supplied the weakness. It's a, it's a thorn in the flesh moment where, where Christ is saying, you know, I'm not removing this from you, um, but my power, my grace is sufficient and my power will be made perfect in, in your weakness. And so I just supplied the weakness. He, he did everything else. So uh, the Lord Jesus Christ through his spirit, uh, through the word of God was my source, was my lifeline. Um, and, and even just having to grab everything that I knew about him and constantly keep my thoughts about who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is this triune God that I serve, what is his character, constantly having to have my mind go over all of that repeatedly as, you know, the attacks are coming in. Um, but it was the Lord. He, I, I just supplied the weakness. He does everything else. Um and he did that in so many various ways. He did that through our church body who stepped up to serve us in an incredible way. You know, when you're used to giving your life to a body of people, you're serving them, you know? So for them to turn and now you're the object of, of service was really overwhelming, but they 
you know, they prayed, they encouraged, they wrote notes, they food, everything. So they took really good care. They took, they took the children for just fun days. Um, they stepped up and did that. My leaders were, were a source of, of strength for me, uh, and, and protecting me, making sure that they're calling me and, um, doing all of that, uh, knowing that James has been taken out of his role. They stepped into that role really well. I'm sorry. My dog is barking. Can you hear her? That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then just, just this source of strength that came out of nowhere was the universal church and, and her, her letters and her encouragement. I could just cry at how many um, ongoing daily messages of just like, we are here for you. We are praying for you. Um, That was such a huge source of of encouragement and strength that the Lord used was just the rallying of the church around the globe. Like we received messages from everywhere around the world. Um, So just to see that was, was, was one of the things the Lord really used to encourage and strengthen me through it. So I learned, I'm learning a lot through this trial and have often asked myself, how would I respond if I was watching somebody go through this? And so um, Christ is just his shepherding care of me through the local church and through the universal church has taught me a lot about love and how love in action looks. So I am super thankful for that. And all of that has just been a huge source of encouragement and strength for me to get through what we were going through. He made sure we were, he's going to make you walk through something. He's going to shepherd you through it. And, uh, you know, one of the sermons James preached before he went to jail was on the good shepherd. And, and so it was just an amazing thing to see the Lord even have us in John in in John 10, before we went through this, uh, to show us he's going to, care for us and walk us through it as our good shepherd. And he did that and he is doing that and he will continue to do that. Hmm. I think that's, that's beautiful. Just hearing both of those um, comments, how you, you supplied the the weakness and he, he did everything else. And so Christ is our source of strength, but he also brings the community of faith to surround us in those times of need. Right. And I think, you, you largely experience the greater the trial, the greater the grace and the provision that God supplies as well. And and sometimes we're afraid, I think, to to enter into those moments of suffering because we we just look at ourselves and we say, like, I can't do this on myself. Like, I'm not strong enough. I don't have what it takes. This is going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. But we 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 take our eyes off of the abundant grace that God has for us. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean that we're not suffering, but he also equips us and, and provides exactly what we need. And his grace is so much more beautiful in those times. And we miss out if we're not willing to step out and and suffer for him, right? Really, um, we're trying to protect ourselves, but we're actually preventing ourselves from receiving that beautiful grace, right? So yeah. Uh, you talked a little bit about how at the beginning the enemy was trying to uh, divide you and James or turn your turn you away from your husband. Uh, would you say that, like, did you have that same conviction about keeping the church open from the very beginning? Or did you kind of have to wrestle through that? Or how did you respond when you first realized we're going full force and no matter the consequences, we're, we're moving forward? Yeah, well, initially when COVID hit, we actually 
we, we abided by the restrictions and that was really difficult for us. Um, but so when we opted to open back up, no, I never doubted uh, opening back up because I saw what being separated from the body was doing in my own heart and, and, and the position that it was putting me in as in, in being isolated from the flock, because I, I, during the first lockdown, we only had our family, um, two people for our music team, and then our sound guys. And we weren't allowed anybody else in the building. Everything had to be live streamed. And so our church literally went into mourning and they were really struggling with just various issues, consequences of the lockdowns. Um, so to watch our people go through that, like we're, we're a pretty healthy church. We have our issues. We have our problems. We're a bunch of sinners, you know? Um, but, but for the large part, we, we are a church that really, um, does life together. We are so involved in one another's lives. So when you take that away from us, we, we, we're the walking wounded. Um, so when we opened back up, there was no question in my mind that this was the right thing to do in love of Christ's people, um, to not put them in positions where they're having to, um, you know, the, the enemy roars around like, like a roaring lion, wanders around like a roaring lion, looking for somebody to devour. And he's devouring our people mm-hmm. because they're separated. Um, he doesn't look for the sheep that are in the herd. He looks for the ones that are isolated and separated. And so we were just watching what was happening to our people. We're getting conflicting information from our, our nurses and frontline workers that are, that are working in the hospitals, doctors, and we're just going, okay, something is not making sense. And that's when our guys really needed to sit down and go, okay, what's our obligation before Christ in regards to what, like, where do we stand on this issue on ecclesiology? Um, and so my husband is a, he's a very wise man. He's a very prayerful man. He doesn't do anything quickly. Um, he's very thorough and thoughtful. And so there's a trust in him that I have, but I, we have always been completely. Through the first lockdown, we're going to school. Um, so no, I never, I never struggled with it. Um, now the Lord definitely brought a greater understanding of ecclesiology um, I don't think I've ever really had to wrestle through what is the government's responsibility and what is not their responsibility because we've always just been free to worship. So obviously that aspect of my theology has really crystallized and, and solidified of what is the government's responsibility and, uh, and what's our responsibility as the church in keeping our government accountable. I think that's something that I just never really gave much thought to. And so that is really coming together for me right now. And just what's my responsibility in the public square as a believer and uh, how do I fight for that? Yeah. Yeah. I I can resonate with a lot of what you said because uh, the day that Aaron, my Aaron got charged December 20th, sounds like the same day that um, James got charged that initial time. I remember that Sunday morning being like so excited to be at church. And I told, I told him that morning, I'm like, I would be mad at you (laughs) if you weren't opening the church today because it's, it, I just saw that as such a vital, important, necessary thing for the church. And, and even just trying to figure out like, what does this mean? Like, how does the church suddenly begin, begin this fight when we've never had to fight in any way 
to worship. We've had so much freedom, really, in Canada, and we've taken it for granted. So, yeah, just understanding in a greater way how we how we do this in the midst of public health mandates. And, you know, uh, like you said, there's something deeper going on when we're hearing a different narrative from Christian nurses and doctors of what's actually going on in the hospital than what we actually see being presented in media. There's a conflict there. And and so, yeah, we, we're ultimately responsible to Christ. And uh, so, yeah, no, some great things there. I definitely resonate with that. And I know that um, you played a very significant role in supporting James through this whole time. I think it's beautiful. Um, I didn't follow every interview or article that was written about you or your your church, but I did see a few of those interviews, and I was very blessed by that. Uh, I think I think the things that really stood out to me was just your consistency, your steadfastness, your your commitment to the gospel and to to the church. It, it just naturally poured out of you, and I, I thought that was great. No matter who you were talking to, I heard your. Um, interview with Ali Beth Stuckey and also with um, uh, Tucker Carse, Carlson. Carlson, yeah. And no matter who you were talking to, it was is very consistent and the gospel just poured out of you. I thought that was uh, so valuable and it showed a lot about your character and uh, and just your support of James. You you continued his mission while he was in jail, uh, speaking boldly for the truth. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how um, some of the things that you needed to do uh, to support him and to stand by him? Maybe uh, if God led you to certain things or you just knew him well enough to say, this is how I need to stand by my husband while he's in jail or even the the weeks, months leading up to that. Um, how How did you do that specifically? Well, my husband and I are incredibly unified. Um, we're, we're unified theologically. We're unified in our marriage. Um, I think very highly of my husband. <laughs> um, he, he's really a man who has lived out laying his life down for his wife. And uh, so when I saw what the media did to him in villainizing him, and even what the Christian community did to him in regards to creating a narrative that wasn't true about him, I realized, and my, my lawyers were like, you, you need to get this story out. I realized that um, I needed to bring humanity back to who my husband was. And the very first interview I did was with Fatine. And that really helped people understand why we made the choices that we did and that we haven't been flippant with COVID. And so I realized that it was now my mission to be my husband's voice because they've silenced him. And so in order to love my husband, I needed to make his mission, my mission. And, and somewhere along, I think it was within the first interview uh, when Faitine had shared with me that largely unbelievers were going to be listening to this um, interview, which actually made it onto national television. Uh, oh, this is my chance to share Christ on a wide scale level. Like nothing else matters other than the gospel um, because the gospel is so intertwined with Christ's bride and how we function as a church and, and living out practically what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and, and, and dying for us and, and resurrecting a people 
um, to now show his glory to the world. So I realized in that interview, this is my chance to share the gospel because people need to hear this. This is the message of salvation. There's nothing more that they're going to need to hear. So um, that's when I just realized, okay, this is what James would do. He would be faithful to, to um, share Christ. And that is the main mission. Everything else falls under that. So even in bringing a level of humanity back to what James was doing was all centered on who God has called him to be as a shepherd, his job in, in preaching the word of God, ministering to the saints, um, the great commission, all of that is so intertwined. So, um, you know, you just look at scripture and you're, you're like the, the apostles, the disciples, they had one mission. I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that was really, it wasn't hard to, to be unified with him on that and to be like, okay, this is my opportunity to, to be his voice um, and to speak when he can't speak. So does that answer your question? That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Is there any specific things that you need, knew you needed to do um, to encourage him while he was in jail? Um, Did you, did you write him letters or did you, was it just, praying for him because I know he had limited time where he could actually talk to you. Uh, what were some of the main supports that you, you offered him during that time? Yeah, it's uh, I wrote letters to him. I, I spoke to him. Sundays were really difficult for him. Um, you know, when you're away from the body that you love for five weeks in a jail cell, uh, where you don't have the communion of the saints, you don't have people with their gifts, pouring into you and sharpening you, um, that can put a man in a very vulnerable place. I always say even the apostle Paul was allowed visitors. James was not allowed visitors. We could do a video call with him, but I had to go into the city to do that. Uh, it was only 25 minutes long. And, and if I've got my children with me, you know, I'm talking on the phone, but my kids can't hear what he's saying. So we had to divide that time up into eight minutes each. Um, so it, it, it was very, there was times that were very difficult for him um, where, I, where obviously I'm praying for him, but just showing him like he, he's made this decision because he's a man of integrity. He couldn't sign the condition that was going to limit his ability to be able to shepherd the flock at Grace Life. And, and so there was times where I had to minister to him. There was times where he had to minister to me. Um, I think one of the, the most difficult times for him was when they actually shackled him and brought him to the RCMP to then detain him. Um, He was able to call me. And that was a time where um, I was able to just to to minister to him and encourage him that you're doing the right thing. You can't do anything else. Um, But he, he would not say he's a brave man. He's just sought every step of the way to be faithful and so my job as his wife is to make sure I'm doing everything possible to make sure he's being faithful. And his job is to make sure I'm being faithful. So it's nothing spectacular. It's just uh, encouraging him to love Christ and, and, and to love the gospel. He's kind of like a modern day. I was reading Nehemiah yesterday and uh, just seeing as soon as Nehemiah went to build the wall, the attacks started you know you have these three guys that are constantly relentlessly attacking them like what are you doing you're not obeying the king and um nehemiah is just like what do what do i have to do with you like god's 
God will do this. He will stand for us. And so you have them building the wall with one hand and a sword in the other while the enemies are just attacking the work of the wall. And, you know, we don't have literal swords. We have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, But that's kind of the way it feels right now. Like we're doing our work. We're still fulfilling the great commission and, and seeking to, to be used by God to build the kingdom, share the gospel, minister to the saints uh, while we're fending off the enemy with the, yeah. the other hand. So um, yeah. yeah, that's a great description because that, that's exactly what it feels like right now, right? We're, we're wanting to continue to, like you said, fulfill the great commission and yet we're fighting the governments and the health mandates and, and, whatever else is going on out there. And so, yeah, interesting. I think you did a beautiful job. You were a beautiful example of a wife who was a helper suitable to James. And uh, I, I think it's pretty evident that your role was was no less than his role. You were working together in, in beautiful harmony. And that tells me that you have a, a really beautiful understanding of the biblical... Um, description of what it means to be a helpmate. So I'm just wondering if you could share that with us. Um, how would you describe the biblical mandate of, of a wife being a helpmate to her husband? Yeah, it's it's a wife that uh, is Ephesians 5. You're a picture of the church. Wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Um, and so my job is to do everything that I can to serve him, to free him up, to do the work of the ministry. Now that obviously changed when he was in jail. The work of the ministry was the work that he was doing in, in the jail, the work that the Lord was doing outside of the jail through his, his active obedience. Um, so it's just do everything I can to submit to Christ and, and therefore submit to my husband. But my husband makes it easy he, because he fulfills his role of, of, of being the example of laying his life down, like Christ laid his life down for the church. My husband has always been a man that has um, sought to make sure he, I'm using my gifts to the best of my ability. And that's my job in serving him to make sure he's using his giftedness to the best of his ability. So he has always poured into my life and and uh, making sure that he's encouraging me in the way of teaching and discipling our women at the church. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, people just have this awful view of authority and submission, but it's such a beautiful thing. It's a picture of the gospel. And uh, so as long as you are about serving and my whole life is serving James and it's, it's the greatest joy that I could ever have in this life is serving my husband in that way. Cause the Lord has called me to be a married woman. Now I know women um, are, are called to be single. And that is also a very special gift that the Lord has given to them and their submission to Christ is going to look different. Um, but my submission to Christ is submitting to my husband and, and uh, making sure that he is doing everything he can to the best of his ability to to fulfill the qualifications of an elder and to preach the word faithfully and to pray. Um, so that, that would be my role as his helpmate. Now that's going to look different in, in other people's lives because they might not be married to a pastor. Um, but that's, that's how it looks in our marriage is that I, I give myself to serve him and it's the greatest joy I've been entrusted with is, is serving him in this way so that he can serve grace life more, more fully and make sure she is, um, 
she he's giving her everything she needs to be built up and to to do the work of the ministry. So that's his job. And it's just a beautiful, you know, circle of service. <laughs> yeah. No, I like the way you describe that. And I think that's what makes it so harmonious when both of you are living out your roles biblically, right? And it doesn't always come naturally. And sometimes we have to, to maybe fight our natural or human inclinations or sinful inclinations. And yet when we're both striving for that, there is beautiful harmony. Um, so I'm just wondering if you have any words of encouragement maybe for the woman who who struggles with this because she's um, been so inundated with the the cultural narrative that a woman needs to be independent and not submissive to anybody and to look out for herself first and foremost. And um, just just wondering if you have any words of encouragement for that the wife who is struggling with this, or maybe even the woman who's not married yet, but thinking, I don't want to be in that type of a relationship. Well, for the woman who's saying she doesn't want to be in that type of relationship to be married to a godly man is such a sweet uh, gift. So, so first of all, marriage is a good gift. It was, it was given in Genesis before the fall, um, now there's obviously the consequences of the fall, but even when you have difficulty in your marriage, that that's there because you need to be sanctified and you need to grow. Um, so really what I say to women, um, you know, if you're not, if you're struggling with submission to your, to your husband, you're struggling with submission to Christ because submission um, is, is, is not just one piece of the pie. You can't be obeying Christ with three quarters of the pie. And then you just have this little one quarter where I, you know, I'm not really submitting to my husband, but I'm obeying the Lord. No, your whole life is submission to Christ. Um, And so if you're having trouble submitting to Christ, you actually have this really great picture in your life of where you're at spiritually with the Lord, um, because he's called us to these various spheres to submit to. Um, and, and just, you want to work at probably why you're struggling is because you don't actually understand what true biblical submission is. True biblical submission is not being a doormat. It's, it's not having an opinion. Um, I have a lot of opinions, (laughs) (laughs) probably too many opinions. Um, but it's, there, there's unity and harmony in a marriage when, when roles are, are working and functioning the way they should. It's like a a biblical church when you have a plurality of elders and they are doing the work of the ministry to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. um, That's a beautiful thing. Submission and authority are put in our life as a protection. It's a gift from God. Um, And so I would just want to challenge that woman to, to maybe have a, a better understanding of what submission is because if submission to our husbands is evil, submission to God is evil. Mm. Um, and so he, he just puts these various spheres in our life to, to submit to. Um, and, uh, and to begin to work through that process of what true biblical submission is. It's, it's, a, it's a military term. You're lining yourself up under somebody. You're serving that person. And remember that your husband you will not have to stand before Christ and give an account for your husband's life. He will have to stand before Christ and give an account for how he has washed you with the word and how he has, um, he'll have to present you with like every spot and wrinkle. So you have that imagery there of, of Christ presenting the church to God without spot or wrinkle. Um, Well, our husbands have that role and that's a very weighty task for them. So in my life, I just want to make that a joy for my husband. I don't want to make that a drudgery. And, uh, 
think it's just a really great indicator if you're if you're struggling with submission, if you you want independence. It's just a good indicator, I think, of where your heart is at. Um, independence isn't necessarily a good thing, um, but every marriage is going to look different in how you carry that out. Like in my marriage, um, our roles are very defined. Um, I take care of the home. There are certain jobs he has. He he he's providing for us. He has ministry. So like he never um changed a lot of diapers. He maybe did, I can probably count on one hand how many diapers the man did. Um, but that was my job because we had determined that was yeah. my job. And that didn't bother me that it was my job. It was a service I I love to do so that I could free him up to do other things. Um, but then there's marriages where you know, you have a wife and she doesn't know how to cook. So the husband does the cooking or the husband likes doing various things around the house. Like you have to work out in your marriage what that, what that looks like. Um, but your duty is to submit to your husband and then fulfill the Titus two role, which is, um, older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands, love their children, uh, be pure, sensible workers at home, um, subject to their own husband so that the word of God is not blasphemed. And if you want to see the character of that woman, uh, we have Proverbs 31. And I know a lot of women like to slam those two passages, but you know, as you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, what, whether she's an actual woman or whether she is a metaphorical woman, she is this, the, the culmination of the wisdom literature. She's in the last chapter for a reason. She is a woman of character. And so that's the character that we need to aim um, to have in our marriage is, is a wise woman who fears the Lord. So, um, yeah, I think I would just challenge them to maybe acquire a right understanding of marriage, beauty of marriage, what that symbolizes, um, and then to have a proper understanding of submission. And again, if the Lord has called you to be single, that is that is also a high calling that God has called you to as a single woman and your, your submission will be to your church leadership absolutely, um, to protect you in that way. Um, and that's a beautiful thing because you're not hindered by anything else. You can serve the Lord fully without having to, to worry about other things in your life. And that also is a beautiful gift. So I think that's what I would say. Yeah. Good. No, I think you've uh, summarized that really, really well. And ultimately it, if we're struggling with that, with submission, it's because we either don't understand it or we're having a problem with submitting to Christ. And so let's deal with those things. Let's let's get our heart right in both of those areas so that we can have that proper understanding. I'm also glad that you you spoke into the woman who's not married, into her life, because yes, they're different callings, but both are are valuable in the kingdom of God. And so thanks for speaking into that as well. Just one more thing. I'm just wondering if you have any other words of wisdom that you can share with women who are desiring to fight for freedom in our country and how can they be most effective? What helps you to stay focused and persevere in the midst of trials and pushback? So just any other words of encouragement for for women who are, are fighting this battle as well? Yeah, I think I would say don't fight for freedom. Fight for Christ, um, fighting the gospel, fight in being faithful um, with sound doctrine and acquiring sound doctrine. You, If you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and have been given new life because you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, you have been given a beautiful gift to represent him to the world uh, and to, to follow through with the great commission of, of sharing him. 
in your life, you, your life mission now is to know him. You know that from Jeremiah that those you can boast in anything, but but um, don't boast in money. Don't but boast in this that you know and you understand me. And so you have a life now where you can know and understand the triune God through his word, by his spirit. And so make that your life's mission to know him, to love him, to obey him, because that's a life that's going to ultimately glorify him. Um, Everything else is tertiary. So when people are like, oh, this is political for them. And it's like, no, this is not political for us. But the fruit of what we're doing results in freedom. Right. Um, results in those things. When you're when you're obedient to Christ, those things naturally flow into every area of life. You you cannot be a faithful Christian and and not be faithful in the public square or faithful in whatever God has called you to in the world. Um, so that would be my my biggest thing would just be just be faithful to Christ. I said the verse already for you for I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Know Him and make Him known. Um, and then what was your other question? <laughs> I ran. I think, sometimes. you know what that, no, that was perfect. I think, um, I think that summed it up really well. Um, actually maybe just, uh, kind of what helps you to persevere when there's pushback in your life. Maybe you've yeah. already talked about it. We've already discussed how you remain steadfast. Um, anything else that you wanted to add or. I think it's just being faithful to the means of grace, uh, making preaching in, in your life a priority, uh, making the gathering a priority, making prayer a priority or time in the word. Um, so just the, the means of grace uh, growing from the providence of God and trials that he's brought into your life. Um, you know, I'm not doing anything. I keep saying I'm not doing anything spectacular. My, I just want to be faithful. I just, at the end of the day, want to look at the face of Christ and, and hear him say, well done, good and faithful slave. Um, so it's just one act of obedience, one foot in front of the other. And so that's what really, you know, I'm learning as I go, I need to still be sanctified. Um, but to, to keep going is just that, that offering that weakness to Christ and that, that next step of obedience. What does God demand of me from his word and obeying him? Um, and you know that through, through knowing his word more and more and studying it and getting under sound teaching. So that's really what keeps me going is really just God's faithfulness to me and continually revealing himself. And, and how I deal with people just attacking us is like, well, you're not attacking me. You're attacking the Lord Jesus Christ, because if I am obeying him, um, it's, it, it, then it's not me you have the problem with. It's the Lord you have the problem with. So he's going to deal with that uh, in, the, in the day of judgment. Um, and if it's believers that are attacking us for whatever reason, you know, they have to stand before the Lord and answer for that. I don't need to defend myself. Um, I don't need to defend my husband. Um, I just need to make sure that I'm being faithful with what's in front of me. And that's it. It's nothing, nothing spectacular. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think it's just very evident. And our desire is to know Christ. And like you said, to make him known, that should be our mission in everything. And as that happens, I think that you're right. Like it, it does flow out into our community, into our, 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 um, culture. We as a Christian church should 
take more of an active role in shaping our culture. But that should be a natural byproduct of of being people who first and foremost love Christ, are surrendered to him, are following him, know him intimately in our own lives, and and then just influence those that are around us and continuously share the gospel, right? So yeah, no, thank you very much. I'm so uh, thankful uh, to have had this conversation with you, Aaron. And um, we'll continue to think of you and pray for you and your church and your family. And ultimately, I think our, our desire is just to see that, um, you know, even more than just having our charges dismissed or, you know, being released from jail, we want to see uh, our country once again seeing the Christian church as Christ's embassy and um, giving us the freedom to be able to gather together as Christ has mandated without having the constant threat of of police showing up or being fined or ticketed or whatever it might be, but having that freedom to do that. And um, so uh, like you, I'm, I'm prepared for the long haul. I don't think this is a short battle, but at the same time, I think we're fighting with urgency and expectancy, knowing that God could um, finish this battle very quickly and give us those freedoms back. But if he doesn't, he's going to be faithful to show us his grace and his mercy in our times of weakness. He's going to help us to persevere. We're not doing it in our own strength, but in the strength that God provides. And that gives us incredible hope and just, you know, anticipating that he's got uh, amazing things in store, whether now or in eternity. And so as we um, get together and, um, you know, anticipate Easter weekend. I think it's going to be an extra special time for our Christian churches to gather this year and to worship our Savior who has done so much for us, who has suffered way more than we could ever imagine uh, so that we could have that eternal life and freedom and freedom from the bondage of sin and that restored relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's going to be a great weekend and may God bless you and your church family and uh, just be with you. I know he will be throughout the next coming months as there's more trials, I think, coming up as well. So God bless you. Thank you. Have a blessed weekend and week. Uh, So yeah, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Susie. All right.